isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to The Gabby Reese Show, where we break down the complex worlds of health, fitness, family, business, and relationships with the world's leading experts. I'm your host, Gabby Reese, and I'm here to simplify these topics and give you practical takeaways that you can start using today. We all know that living a healthy, balanced life isn't always easy. Let's try working on managing life a little better and have some fun along the way. Because after all, life is just one big experiment and we're all doing our best. But I think adventure does something that, you know, there's a lot of things you can do right now to change your life, right? Mm -hmm. People are experimenting with all sorts of things, gurus, you name it. But I think what adventure does that other things don't give you is this courage, resiliency, Mm -hmm. and perspective that you carry with you to the rest of your life. So at 11, I think I took with it the knowledge that life is short. My dad tucked me in, he said, good night, I love you. He was a dentist, he was pretty healthy. He rode his bike miles on the weekend. He didn't eat well, but he had some underlying heart condition and he died having a heart attack in his car. And I think at that moment I was like, wow, he was here today and now he's not. You have to live life to the fullest. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. My guest today is Shelby Stanger, and she is an award-winning podcast host. She's an author, journalist, and public speaker. Really, the common thread is all things adventure, and that adventure is life's antidote. And she shares in her latest book, Will to Wild, which I think was partially inspired by her ongoing REI podcast, Wild Ideas Worth Living, and She's always wanted to write a book, and she also has another podcast called Vitamin Joy. So I think you're seeing a theme here. And what she shares is she had a job, a good job, and just realized she wasn't that happy and decided, you know, what does it take? What does it look like to make a change? What are the signs out there to help us sort of give us confidence to move on? And what are some of the things we can expect along the way when we're doing things either new or deciding to take on a big adventure, like an actual adventure, or, you know, a metaphoric adventure, just changing our lives altogether. And what you'll hear with Shelby is just such an authentic and genuine love 
for people doing what makes them happy and for being outside in nature. I think Shelby is a person who had her own battles with things and this was her way of sharing just how she copes with them and that really it's an ongoing process, right? Like we can finish one adventure, but it is important maybe to have the next adventure. And I, and I think that's so true of life. It's, it's like, how are we always stretching ourselves and trying new things and, and getting out of our comfort zone and getting into nature whenever we can? And she shares a lot of stories about other people and their experiences and anecdotes personally. And so, it's not just about ultra runners or, you know, hikers, surfers or rock climbers. It can be, you know, desk jockeys who've just figured out how to get off the clock and or, you know, a mom or teach, you know, teaching women to scale frozen waterfalls. Don't take it as, well, I have to be a crazy outdoorsman to to enjoy this conversation. This is really about how we learn how to follow our hearts, put that together, have a strategy. And one of the things I love is the idea of a trail angel, that they're really all around us. We just have to be able to recognize it. So whether you're already an adventure junkie or just someone who's never set up a tent, there's really something for everyone in this conversation. And the book is Will to Wild, Adventures Great and Small to Change Your Life. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Shelby Stanger. Shelby Stanger, welcome back to my house. You've been here before. You have taken on a new adventure, which is completing a book. I I have to say this, people, for anyone who, even keeping a journal, never mind having this idea and then being able to finish a book, why did you write this book? I've always wanted to write a book. I don't think I was aware of how hard it would actually be. I kind of thought it would be easy. I've been a journalist my whole life. I've done podcasting for the last seven years, but there was no book out there that helped me pursue adventure. There's all sorts of adventure books, but there was none about the mindset of having an idea for a big adventure and seeing it through and what to do when you're scared or stuck or you have self-doubt or imposter syndrome, which you're going to have happen. And also what to do when everything goes wrong, which happens on every adventure, as you know. So I wanted to have a book with a range of adventures from small adventures to really big adventures, like someone who is a bird watcher to someone who paddled on paddle boards with just their hands from Alaska all the way to Patagonia and sort of how they thought about adventure and how they handled it. And then one thing I really wanted to include, because I've interviewed so many adventures now through my own podcast is the finish line and what mm. to do when you end an adventure. Because sometimes there's a transition that is rocky and how to bring the sense of adventure to your everyday life, because mm. that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. And you guys live and breathe adventure. So you're the perfect person to talk about this. You know, it's so funny. I think, you know, at times I think I get thrown in the mix because I live with Laird, <laughs> that I'm actually live like Laird. And maybe I didn't take a conventional path for my job or, you know, there's things like I sort of do pursue. You talk about following your gut and listening to your instincts in your book. I think I do that. But this idea of like, for example, I have a friend who's doing Everest, uh, Cecilina Gracie. And in me, I'm like zero desire. Me too. I have no desire. Right. I see that. And zero. I'm like, I don't want to poop in a bucket and sleep in a tent. I'm, I like beds, you know, whatever. 
And when I see people that have this willingness to take that time out and do something really big, I'm like, that's amazing. But I personally don't feel like it. So for me to read a book like this is interesting because it also gets me to ask questions about, huh, well, maybe am I stuck in a, in a version of my own groove mm. and do that. And when you talk about the come down after an adventure, I understand that because I live with somebody who basically it's a PTSD, <laughs> right? The thing you've been striving for and going for, it's like after people win championships or they get a, a big tro an Oscar and they think, well, that will have made me feel something long-term when in fact, I don't think it does. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think everybody has their own Everest to climb, right? Yes. But I think adventure does something that, you know, there's a lot of things you can do right now to change your life, right? People mm -hmm. are experimenting with all sorts of things, gurus, you name it. But I think what adventure does that other things don't give you is this courage, resiliency, mm. and perspective that you carry with you to the rest of your life. And when I was a teenager, I started teaching surf lessons down the street at Surf Diva at La Jolla Shores. And women would come, they would learn to ride a few waves over a weekend or a week-long clinic. And I was like 16 to 22. And I'd always get a call from like one of them in the group a week a month, two months afterwards, and to be like, Shelby, I quit my job. I ended this deadbeat relationship finally for good, or I'm moving across the country to a place with a better beach by you or somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And then their life would be positive for the better and it would keep going. So I think doing adventure gives you courage that you then can take with you to other parts of your life. Yeah. And I don't know, I mean, catching a wave that used to scare me in Laguna Beach, not even a big wave, just a wave that was scary because there were rocks and it was intimidating. Eventually, after finally catching a wave at this one spot, I finally got the courage to quit a job that was perfect on paper and didn't make sense. And so, I don't know. I think there's something about adventure that gives us a giant dose of courage that you can't get necessarily by just going to a therapist. Um, well, I think yeah. it's also, I, I agree with you that it's a catalyst, mm. but I think oftentimes from what I've seen and you've interviewed even more people in this realm, it isn't, it isn't a final like no. landing spot. It's not the like other. I did that. There's, I think it's also can either ignite something in somebody where then they sort of need new challenges and adventures. Yep which has its own, it's just an interesting- It is a really interesting adventure. It's a, it's a fine line because it's this idea of coming out of our comfort zone, living. How about just that idea? They raise us to work as living versus live and living and then you know work to support yourself. We, I think we got it backwards. Totally. I've learned that from Laird. Laird's like, why, why are we all killing ourselves? Why are we not enjoying also life? And I think people who adventure- they tune into that a little better. But I also see that there's this other funny side of like kind of a inside, I don't want to say frustration, but there, it's kind of, <laughs> I, I never saying this as a partner to somebody like that. It's also, it's very fascinating. I think you, I think you can get addicted to adventure and you have to be really careful. But I think this book, what I wanted to do is encourage people who don't have a relationship with nature mm -hmm. To just have a relationship with nature somehow. If it's going outside, if you go to Gabby's house right now, the wildflowers are bananas. Like I stood outside your, your front yard for about 10 minutes before mm -hmm. starting this interview. And I was blown away by these birds flying and like the amount of yellow flowers 
all up the mountain of Latigo Canyon in Malibu. It was crazy. And I think what nature does, it provides a chance for us to slow down, to heal, because when we slow down, we can take time to heal. There's all sorts of metaphors in nature. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you live in Hawaii. Right. You don't get the rainbow without putting up with the rain. And I think that's something you can apply to life. But also there's all this time to experience awe, which to me is like the X factor that nature provides. You can get awe through art. You can get awe having a baby. You can get awe through a relationship. But so much of our life is, I was thinking about this today, like so much of our life is predictable, right? We can we can see where we're going. We can look at our cell phones and we get an idea of what we're going to get. Mm-hmm. But in nature, there's all this room for the unexpected, like seeing a whale breach or a certain dolphin jump or a beautiful wave. And you could have been having a shitty day or you could have had a fight or you could have been in traffic getting up to LA all day. But when you see something beautiful in nature, it's a pattern interrupt. Yeah, And I think that is really important in life. And I think we, right now, after COVID, we all need a big pattern interruption in our life. So the goal is not to become an adrenaline junkie because it is dangerous when you're an adrenaline junkie. I've interviewed all sorts of them. My goal is to get people to just have a relationship with nature and try adventure if you've never had one, big yeah. or small, and show them the tools to have one. And I think it, it feels like that when when you read the book, it doesn't feel like you know you have to forego and leave your family and you know no. sort of do that. And there's there's tips and and you know kind of strong, kind of clear exit signs on how to do it. So. You talk about, was it, I don't know, when did you leave your job? Like 2008, 2007? 2009, the height height of the recession. It was like so dumb to leave. I had this great job at Vans. I was running women's marketing and then international marketing. I was a kid and I was in charge of this really big business. I was at the cool shoe company. Everybody at Vans was really cool. And I was the journalist for the Vans Warp Tour before Mm -hmm. that, which is, does anybody, I'm dating myself probably, but it's a series of punk rock concerts for 60 days straight. I slept on a tour bus. Steve Van Dorn, the guy whose dad started Vans, was my bunk mate. I was on the top bunk and he makes jokes about that, which was pretty funny. But he's a harmless guy. He's super nice. He doesn't drink. He eats dessert before dinner. Mm-hmm. He was just a fun guy to tour around with. Um, I had to send my stories through internet dial-up connection, which meant I had to find a dial-up connection at a dirt parking lot every day. It was wild summer and every 22 year old should get to have a summer like that in their life on a punk rock concert tour. By the way, if I smell tour bus fumes today, Mm -hmm. I like, I get this convulsive, like PTSD feeling. I never want to really ever go on a punk rock concert tour again, but it was awesome as a 22 year old. Um, so yeah, I had this great job and it made zero sense on paper to quit. I come from a high achieving family. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mom's from Pittsburgh. My dad was from New York. My mom was a college professor. So quitting made zero sense on paper. Everyone's like, you're crazy. It was the height of the recession. There was no working from home. And I really just hated my commute. That was the part of my job I hated the most. Hated driving in traffic. Do you think, like back up just a little, because I'm, you know, I never know how much it plays a part for people. When you were very young, 11, in an incredibly unexpected uh, accident, your dad passed away. Yeah. Did that kick you off into a different headspace or do you, you know, was it, because for me, I wasn't living with my uh, parents and my father died and I was much younger. I was five. It oh, wasn't so uh, 
monumental. It was different. Mm. Your dad, you know, kisses you goodnight. And then you get, you know, you get woken up that you're, that he passed away. I'll get, I'll get sentimental because today it's been 31 years. Wait, he died today? on 4, 420, which we always joke. Oh, We're geez. like, finally, he... two years ago, I was like, mom, did dad smoke weed? Yeah. Like, how did he die? How did he pick 420? Yeah. Um, Interesting. So, she's like, yeah, he did. But anyways, that's a long story that did, I didn't know. Did it kick, do you think something about that rooted or created something inside of you that you then had to go back and contend with later as an adult? I think immediately I took that. I was pretty mature as an 11 year old. Mm-hmm. I was actually a really good writer. I think my writing at 11 was probably better than what it is now. It was really raw. And I actually included 29 year old Shelby's writing and voice in the book, which makes me cringe. She was so angsty and neurotic, but I left it because I wanted people to feel how I felt then. Mm-hmm. So at 11, I think I took with it the knowledge that life is short. My dad tucked me in. He said, good night. I love you. He was a dentist. He was pretty healthy. He rode his bike miles on the weekend. He didn't eat well, something that I started doing immediately afterwards, but he had some underlying heart condition and he died Mm -hmm. having a heart attack in his car. And my sister woke me up and she's like, Shelby, dad's been in a car accident, get up. And I just kept saying, oh my gosh, is he dead? Is he dead in the car? And I didn't really think he was dead. I thought we were going to go to the hospital and his leg was going to be like up in one of those gurneys and he was going to be wearing his like Kooji sweater and charming the nurses. And we got there and I remember it was like 11 PM at night. We lived in Cardiff by the sea, California, the sleepy little beach town that's now super hipster and expensive ironically. And there was a nurse there and my mom, and she was ghost white. And we're like, is he dead? Is he dead? And she just nodded her head vertically um, up and down and just grabbed us. And I think at that moment, I was like, wow, he was here today and now he's not. You have to live life to the fullest. And I think I could have learned to take a chill pill for many years. And it's something I'm really working on now. What does that mean? Well, I think I tried to fit as much as I could into one day for so much of my life, because I was like, you just never know, you're gonna die, you could Mm. die. I encouraged all my friends in elementary school and junior high school and high school to like ask the guy that they wanted to ask out, like, don't be afraid, go surfing. I played on like five sports teams, was in leadership clubs. Mm. I was a little total overachieving nerd growing up. And I found surfing young, but I didn't really get into it until I quit my job because I was always working. So I could only surf before work or after work. And it was either dark or crowded. I wanted to surf in the middle of the day, which you can do now because we have working from home, but you couldn't then. And I think surfing taught me to slow down, to just take a beat and to just find joy and to not have to do so much. Cause if you try to force surfing, you try to force catching waves, you try to force, mm. you can't. And right. so one thing I wanted people to understand through this book is nature's the ultimate surrender teacher. You will not beat nature. She will always win or he or she, I'm not gonna say nature's a she, but nature wins We can every say time. she's a okay. she. Yeah, we don't know. Are we gonna offend some guys? <laughs> It was written as she and my partner was like, can you just make nature ambivalent? I'm like, fine, but she's probably a she. Oh, come on. I'm my favorite commercial. It's not nice to mess with mother nature. Don't you remember? Yeah, mother nature is mother nature. I I agree. It's interesting because when I told you this before we started that when I, and I've met you before, but when I read the book, it's like you, I can, you can feel them. 
there's a vibration, right? <laughs> like with athletes like yourself where- Or ADHD people like myself. Yeah, which I think has a real, I mean, people love to label stuff, but it's like, you mean, and like Laird always says, like you mean a natural, you know, t- trait or tendency that people have, everybody's different. And they, and it is, you find that people who have that kind of level of being distracted or bored love nature because you have to pay attention or you're going to get in trouble, right? Yeah, you'll fall off the cliff. Yeah, they love it because they're like, I might die. So this is amazing. I really, it can hone in. But I find it almost like how much of our lives fear, right? So going through this thing with your dad and maybe being already naturally a certain way, sensitive and aware and, you know, all of these things, then pushes you into pushing everybody to go for it. So fear making you say, hey, let's go for it. Well, there's this thing that wasn't in the book and I had it originally in the book. The editor cut it out. They were like, this is a lot. But I grew up in a lot of fear and I couldn't understand it until this year. And I'm actually the fourth kid of three girls. So my mom had two daughters, a son, and then me. And the son died at eight months. Mm. And so I was born after a kid who died of sudden infant death syndrome which meant I was watched over like a hawk. They were so afraid I was going to die. There was someone hired to just kind of like watch me sleep for a little bit. I had a waterbed mattress. We were not even rich. We just like, they invested. Mm -hmm. Um, And when my dad died, by the way, he was a dentist, but there was no life insurance, no health insurance. Like, I mean, he had health insurance, but he had nothing. There was no will. There was nothing. So my mom was a teacher. So we went from being pretty okay to like not. But- I just realized kind of this year, almost after writing the book, that I grew up in all this fear. I asked my mom about it. I'm like, mom, I don't understand. I am fearless about so many things, but I'm so scared of like little change. And I get nervous before big interviews with with people that I look up to like Gabby and I don't understand, but yet I I keep doing these things that scare me. Mm -hmm. And I think I have a friend like that too. She grew up in a family with a lot of rules. They're from a different culture. They immigrated here when there was like assassins out for their family. She grew up very wealthy. They came here with nothing. And she constantly gravitates towards, you know, she's like not a very good surfer, but she tries to surf. And she does, she's like taking another kind of class, like gymnastics. She's a good surfer, but she's Mm -hmm. not like She's not going to listen to this. It's okay. She's like, she might. <laughs> she might. She's like taking gymnastics classes. I think I constantly try to put myself in positions where I have to face fear in another way so that outside so that I can face it internally as well. Mm-hmm. And that really helps me. It's weird, but it's something that I've just learned over time. And every time I face fear, I feel so good. So like after I quit my job, it was really weird. The day I caught this crazy wave at a place in Laguna Beach. It's not scary to many people, but was scary to me. I'm like, that's it. I'm going to quit my job and give notice. And before I gave notice, I made that decision. I told a PR person in Hawaii that I was thinking about quitting my job. She literally called me that day and she's like, hey, Shelby, I remember you said to think of you if there are any story ideas because you were thinking about quitting your job. I've got one. Dave Parmiter, mm-hmm. who you probably know, he's a big wave surfer, backed out of going on the surf trip to Indonesia it's with a bunch of guys. They need a journalist to cover it. It's only dudes. So I think they want a dude, but I don't know. You did the warp tour. You can hang. Do you want to go? And I was like, yes. So it's really weird how, when you set an intention and I try not to get all woo woo, I'm like the least woo woo person, but I've become woo woo over time. Mm-hmm. When you put it out in the universe, like sometimes the universe aligns and helps you out. So the day I decided to quit my job, I got offered to go cover 
a group of guys surfing these remote waves in Indonesia where I had no choice but to surf these terrifying waves or I would have to stay on the boat where I'd get seasick and the guys would make fun of me. So right. I did. What happens when you get really quiet or still? What happens? Everything good happens. I actually started a meditation practice pretty rigorously recently. Mm-hmm. And I it's easy. It's like eight minutes in the morning and eight at night. And I've spent some time at this Buddhist monastery in San Diego. It was started by Thich Nhat Hanh. Mm-hmm. It's called Deer Park Monastery. And people in San Diego don't realize how amazing this is. Old Boy Scouts camp, um, just 45 minutes from my house in San Diego. And I remember going in 2008 before I quit my job with my then boyfriend. And it was really out there. Most of the monks were Vietnamese and a lot of the services and talkings and teachings were in Vietnamese translated. And it was a little strict. What does that mean? Wait, what does that mean strict? Like it was like you sat there and you meditated and you, it's Zen meditation. So you just like sit on a cushion and you stare, you don't really close your eyes. You look outside the window. It's pretty for like 30, 40 minutes, which was a lot for a 28 year old with a lot of energy. And I liked it. I liked how it felt, but all my friends thought I was a hippie. It wasn't mm-hmm. widely accepted in 2008 amongst my peers, that is. Anyways, during the pandemic, I was running down PCH and I saw these monks in brown robes and they were by the Swami temple in Encinitas. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Maybe they're like monks doing an exchange at the Swami temple. And then like, I remembered those are the monks from Deer Park Monastery. So I stopped and I talked to them and I was like, hey, are you guys- Did they talk to you? They totally talked to me. So I was like, hey, are you guys from Deer Park Monastery? I like ran back and talked to them. They're like, yeah. And I was like, what are you doing here? Did you do an exchange with the Swami temple? They're like, no, we just went surfing. Are they allowed, are monks allowed to surf? Yeah, I had no idea. So these millennial monks Uh, are cool as F. Millennial monks. And they surf. And they were like, hey, we're opening up Deer Park Monastery to two-day retreats. You can camp, you can stay in a dorm, come. And I was like, oh, that's great because I need to actually go camping. I haven't been camping in years. I run a podcast for REI. I probably should learn how to use my tent and go sleep out (laughs) in the woods. And this felt really safe. I'm sleeping in a monastery. Um, So I went for a weekend and it is way less strict. It's so fun. They cook for you. They feed you. It's like $20 a night or something ridiculously inexpensive. It was so fun. Some of the meditations were guided. Sometimes I feel like when we take off a little bit of the protocol, it makes it more inviting for people. And then I sort of feel like that whatever it is that we're supposedly meditating for, we are more willing to try. You know, it's even like have a good attitude or be nice to people or whatever the million, stop drinking alcohol or whatever the things we're trying to deal with feels sometimes easier when it's like, hey, let's all be together and have fun and and do that. That's really millennial monks. So they were I fun. think you should make t-shirts. I honestly was like, I want to write a book about these millennial monks. Oh, so, you so the guy was was a white dude from Laguna Beach that I was talking to. Wait, the monk? Yeah. Oh, and the, even even the, there's Vietnamese millennial monks, there's white <laughs> there's white monks, there's everything. Um <laughs> But it was so funny. It was just what was cool. I just need is to know, do they have social media? This is I what don't I need think to know. They do Please. not. I don't, they do not have social okay, media. Okay, good. Don't. They okay, do not have go. social media. And I asked the guy from Laguna Beach. I'm like, why did you become a monk? And he was yeah. like, you know, I just grew up in a really affluent area, and I wanted a more simple life. Yeah. 
I was like, I respect that. But anyway, so, so what I do is I say breathing in, I calm my body, breathing out, I calm my mind or breathing in, I calm my body, breathing out, I smile. And then Mm. I've focused on having things get really quiet and whatever's hard in my life, I really focus on sending it love. This is the most hippie thing I do in my life, but it's been a game changer. So if someone's bugging me, I send them love. If there's something I'm working on that's hard, I just send it love. And it's the ultimate cliche, but like it works so quickly, quicker than anything I've ever done. You know, when I was younger, I moved from the Caribbean to St. Petersburg, my junior year of high school. And I got put into a very conservative Christian school. I was not raised that way. Anyway, I had a really badass Bible teacher, which just means a great, fair human being who was a great teacher. And listen, the Bible has interesting stories that are parables that you can go, yeah, that makes sense. But that notion of like meditating for someone, sending them love, praying for someone, it is so amazing how it diffuses things. Like it's it's weird. It's like, I, I I don't even know why we, because I think we think, oh, it's rules around it. But literally when you direct love at someone that you actually probably want to wring their neck, <laughs> it, yes, it, it I think it softens your heart in a way that you can't do through your brain. Totally. That you think, no, be a good person and try to see it from their side. And everybody has a hard journey and all this stuff. If you just go, hey, I love them. Give me the strength to have better understanding or compassion or whatever in a meditation or a prayer. I think it People, they don't use that tool enough because it's a lot of work to be annoyed by someone. It's so much work. It's exhausting. Yeah. You know, I have an autoimmune condition called vitiligo. So like if I'm angry or bitter, it gets worse. It flares so up? It flares up and it's it's delayed. So it's like, oh. Wait, what does that mean? This. Oh, you mean you had it and you get it. And then 10 days later, the reaction from 10 days earlier, then you're paying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or like two weeks later, that's three amazing. weeks later. Oh, that's amazing. And often it's triggered by fear, yeah. anger, really deep sadness and stress. And like, look, we are human beings. We all have stress. We yeah. all have fear. And so I've had to learn to get like really good about not having a lot of stress in my life. And it's hard because as as an athlete, I also have a lot of good stress in my life. I used to be a big time runner and I've backed off because even like too much running when I have a lot of working, too much athleticism on top of, if my brain is working really hard, I don't make my body work that hard. It's so weird. Well, no, it's it's not weird. I think we separate, um, I'll give you a good example of this. Paul Check, you know him, of course, right? He's down there. He uh, was doing some training thing for Laird and he said, based on, and you know, this is a guy who talks about your chakras and training and people roll their eyes, but there's really something to it, of course. And he goes, listen, Laird is emotionally based. So his lower chakras are taxed all the time. So why would I then at that moment throw him into a radical leg workout? So I'm just pounding and taxing the lower body. And sometimes I don't think we give enough credit to where do I hold my stress? How do I carry it? Whether it's the actual activity or just being who we are, I think is a interesting thing to consider in your physical practice also. So let's go back to the book. So you're, you, you say, okay, I'm going to write this book and share my experience. And how do you, what's the process? And you start with, you know, getting unstuck, that launching, like, you know, you use your own metaphor of surfing and then quitting your job and it launches you into this next adventure. What was the process of 
what are the things I want to say and how am I going to organize this in a way that regardless if somebody is, you know, going to do a big trail run or walk or climbing will benefit from, from it was, this. It was a messy process. I thought it was really going to be easy. You did? Yeah. I thought it was just going to be, I've done a lot of talks on <laughs> how to take a wild idea and make it a reality. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. I can just organize this book like my speeches or like my podcast. I've done millions of these, but books are weird. And then you have publishers who have their own opinions of things. So I wrote a couple of outlines um, that were not accepted. And then I rewrote them. And then my agent was like, just kind of write what you want to write and send the whole book to your publisher. You mean write um, the book and then just send it? Yeah. And then send it Mm because they need to see the whole thing. So I took a lot of their advice and then I married it with my own advice, but really... I thought about my own experience and I don't think you have to be stuck to pursue an adventure, but a lot of times, you know, Mm -hmm. when I look at the women who used to come to take surf lessons in Costa Rica with me, they were in a life transition and there was a reason why they'd booked a trip to Costa Rica, which was a big wild adventure for them at the time. And, you know, often they'd come and they were like overworked or exhausted. And after a few days in warm water, eating fresh food, telling a lot of funny jokes with a lot of women, drinking some wine, dancing, skinny dipping, whatever, they completely relaxed. They would come home just tan, refreshed with muscles, a glow. And I don't know. So, so I started with being stuck Mm -hmm. and letting people know if you're stuck, you're not alone. I think that's one of the biggest things is in the human experience especially adventurers are solo individualistic people oftentimes, but we're not alone. Like other people feel this way too. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted this book to relate as much to people who had never done an adventure as much as the people who listen to my podcast and read outside magazine and have done a lot of adventures. And maybe this book is just a hall pass to their loved ones to say, look, this Mm -hmm. is why I need adventure in my life. Yeah. Do you think that people have to explain that to their loved ones? Oh yeah, I do all the time. So weird. Why? I think, you know, there was a really interesting woman who came on the podcast recently. She's an open water swimmer and she leaves work early to go open water swim. And she's broken records across the English channel. She's a bigger girl. She never thought- Well, they all are, by the way. You can't, you're not going to be lean and ripped. Yep, exactly. You have to have that So she's also into like the body positivity movement. She wears a bikini and she swims (laughs) in the Puget Sound and she's so funny. And she was like, you know, Shelby, what's really hard is my work gets pissed at me when I leave early. But if I said I was going to pick up my kids, it would be no issue. And so there's this like double standard. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting because we're already really hard on moms. Like we should always give moms a hall pass. But what if you're an athlete and you've just decided to take off work early and you'll still get your work done, yeah. but you want to go do your thing? We should let people do that. Well, in the end, it makes you more productive, exactly. happier. You bring all that good stuff to... It's funny because you think as a... Like if for, let's say it's a guy and a girl in a partnership or something. If the guy's doing it, usually it's thought of as the woman doesn't understand because she doesn't have her own thing. But conversely, I, and I talk to other women about this, is sometimes there's something weird about the other way when a girl's like, I'm going to go do this. The guy's like, even if he's an adventurer himself, it's like, well, wait, like, where are you going? Like, what are you doing? Like, it's a very interesting dance between the two yeah. uh, constantly. And I always think it's strange that anyone isn't like, oh, that makes you stoked and happy. And it's it's ultimately positive. 
great. Have a good time. I mean, obviously you want people to be present if you're sharing a life and if you're a boss, you're like, yo, you still have to do your work. But if all that's kind of getting done, I, I think it's so funny um, that we have to sort of say, hey, I, I, I'd like to go swim. You know, it's weird. Um, so you talk about, I think this is an important thing, like in the beginning, you know, looking for signs, you know, and you mentioned it, like you, you mentioned it to the woman, you quit. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's like, Hey, by the way, but how else do you think that this shows up for people? Cause I think once you point something out, people can go, Oh yeah, I, 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 I had that. Yeah. I think when you're stuck, it really helps to decide, you know, to admit that you're stuck. That's like the first thing. And then I think it helps to do what all hikers do when they're lost, which is look for a trail sign. And a sign's going to come to you only in the language that you speak. So mm -hmm. for example, there was a time before I worked at Vans when I just had to make the decision to work for Vans. I got a job offer. I was young. I really wanted to be a journalist. It was a marketing job. I was like, ah, I don't know, but Vans is awesome. And I was at a restaurant and I looked down and there was like the famous Vans side stripe everywhere. Now that's a really simple sign. And I kept seeing them everywhere, but I was like, you know what? I should probably work for Vans. It's a few years of my life who knows what will happen. And I never regret. It was a better business education than I could ever pay paid USC to give me or any other business school that I got at Vans. But signs can come in all sorts of ways. I, there's a girl in my book who, Steph Jagger, who wrote a book mm. about skiing the most vertical feet in a year. And she was a PR executive, had this amazing job, but just bought a condo in Vancouver. She was on the path, you know, go to college, get an amazing job, buy a house, get married. And she was totally unhappy. She grew up skiing. She was on the chairlift with friends and she saw a sign and it said, lift the restraining device. And that sign refers to the metal bar that you need to lift to get off the chairlift and ski back down the mountain. And that keeps you protected so you don't fall when you're going up the mountain. And she just took that sign home with her, it followed her to work and for the next few weeks. And she's like, I have all these restraining devices in my life, mostly my own head. And mm -hmm. so over the next couple months, she shuttered her life as she knew it, got sponsors, worked extra jobs and skied the most vertical feet that a woman had ever, or a man had ever done that year. And along the way, all these amazing things happened. She met her husband who randomly runs the outdoor outreach organization that I've been a volunteer at and on the board member for, for like 20 years. And I remember him telling me about her and being like, you have to meet her. And I was like, you have a book. And she's like, I don't know if I want to write a book. Anyways, years later, she ends up writing a book. It leads to this incredible career that she's had and another book. And so I think signs are helpful when we're lost. Yeah. And there's also signs that point you to what you shouldn't do. Like, you know, there's been all sorts of jobs I've taken because I'm like, oh shit, I need to make money. And I'll take on a PR job. Or once I took like a vitamin multi, multi-level marketing job and it was just really hard to get sales and everything was hard about it. And I just remember I, I didn't have the heart to like recruit friends underneath me oh, to sell awful. for me. Nobody, li and nobody likes that. Nobody business. wanted to do that. And um, yeah, I was like peeing yellow and I was like, okay, this is a sign to stop. And I was stuck with all these vitamins and it was just funny. So when things are really hard, yeah. that's also a sign. When it feels like effort, you know, when I started my podcast, that was the easiest thing I've ever done. And just everything flowed. And I think I really like the interviewing part of podcasting and storytelling more than writing. Writing the book was a little bit challenging. So we'll see how this goes. 
but there are a lot of signs to finish it. There are also a lot of obstacles, which ironically you have in any adventure. Yeah. And I think too, it's the defining what is the success. The success is, has already happened. You're here. The book is here. I read the book. Other people have read the book. And I think sometimes we gauge and only things by the metric of, well, how well did it do or what, you know, all these things. And I, I think the other part of what you're saying is the success, if correct me if I'm wrong, was it Steph who the Guinness book didn't then at the end recognize the didn't record, recognize right? It. But she still did it. Yeah, she did it. And so in a way it's how do we define success? And that's the reason to do it. Not, well, I was recognized for it. I'm the number one, you know, whatever those things are. So I think that's another part of adventuring is, but I know. Yeah. So if you're going to write a book, it really helps to write down what you define as success because the chances of you becoming a New York Times bestseller or like getting on the Today Show or whatever, it's hard. And a lot of it's luck and a lot of its factors just completely out of your control. So you have to decide whatever your adventure is, whether it's writing a book or starting a podcast, what does that mean? So when I started a podcast, I remember my metric was there was a girl that was struggling and she was a friend of mine and she wanted to quit her job and move to Costa Rica and just surf and Mm -hmm. become a travel guide, whatever. And she was miserable and she was sinking into this deep depression. And so I thought of her as my listener when I made every show. And sure enough, like a couple months later, she ended up quitting her job. Her parents were doctors. It just seemed really irresponsible to quit her job at UCSD and become a travel guide in Costa Rica, but she ended up doing it. She's just bought a plot of land in Costa Rica. Her money goes like 10 times as far there. She's so happy. She surfs this perfect bright point barrel in front of her house. Like every day, she has a really simple life and she is thriving. My podcast had little to do with it, but I thought of her and, you know, she was my biggest fan and it's just so cool to have seen her career grow. So as a devil's advocate, like, again, I live with somebody who, and no, and because I'm, I'm also want to translate this because sometimes yeah. people were, were stuck. When you talk about getting unstuck, we live in a world that there's a lot of perceived constraints. And so a lot of times someone would see like this friend of yours and be like, oh, well, what is she running away from? Right. Like I'm, yeah, I'm just saying, so people be true. like, never mind irresponsible or whatever. It's like, well, what are you running from? So in within that part of the conversation, for people who don't understand that itch or that urge, you know, what maybe we could just drill down a little bit more about understanding about what is it that they're that maybe they're getting. I think you know, I interviewed this, the, probably the most interesting guest I've ever had on the podcast is the oldest, which is probably why I loved your podcast. Was I the oldest? The Just intuitive. You were the youngest. The oldest podcast oh, was 91 you? years old. Okay. It wasn't you. I'm you're you're definitely one there. of my favorite guests. Ooh, but <laughs> she's 93 now. Her name is Edith Eager. She's a Holocaust survivor. Oh, yes. Oh. Mm-hmm. And I randomly dated her grandson yeah. growing up. And she spoke at my class when I was in eighth grade. And mm-hmm. she's blown up now. She's like on Oprah. She's crushing it. But you know, she said self-love is self-care. It's not narcissistic. Mm. And I think that like, just because you want to go do something because it brings you joy, 
that is good enough. Everybody thinks you're running from something or you need to escape something. Or you have to have this grand reason that's going to help other people. Mm-hmm. And yes, altruism is awesome. And if you have that, you're going to achieve your goal probably faster. But if you're doing it just because it brings you joy, that should be good enough. And yeah. we need to give people permission slips to go pursue joy. She wanted to go to Costa Rica because it brought her joy. Like driving in traffic in San Diego and paying astronomical bills for like utilities did not bring her joy. Right. And she doesn't have to deal with that in Costa Rica. So now she is like crushing it and she helps teens, angsty teen, teens who want to go travel. She helps them on their summer trips. And I'm sure she's changed tons of lives. So yeah. by following her joy, she's helped the world. And I think, you know, when we pursue things that make us miserable, we're not helping the world. Yeah, but it's more of us are doing that than the other. And so that's why I just want to bring it up because I think it's important to have that reminder of, um, you know, what's that expression? Just because um, it's normal doesn't mean it's right. And so I think the way it's set up for most of us is maybe we're missing some parts of the communication about also the enjoyment. What was the books Edith wrote? Like the gift, the choice. The gift what is and it? the choice. Right. Yeah, exactly. Ninety one. And how old was it? How old was she wrote these books? I think she was like ninety three. Yeah. She's she's amazing. Writing books. Wow. Yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah. Everybody oh. should follow Dr. Edith Eager. She's yeah. Great. She's yeah. And she does a high kick at the end of every one of her talks. <laughs> she does. She was actually in a gymnast um, right. on her way to compete in mm. the Olympics. Um, you know, when her family was shipped off to Auschwitz, she's yeah. a remarkable story. Yeah. And she's an unlikely adventurer, probably the most unlikely in my book. But to me, you know, I, I have her in the chapter about having a strong why, because if you have a strong why, you can fill your how. Yeah. And obviously her why was, I want to live. I want to see my boyfriend. I want to see my sisters. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important what you're saying is it's not about that it's easier it's just that if you're doing or solving the problems you want to be solving, that why, so to speak, I think people have to remember that because we're always going to be solving problems yep. and dealing with stress. So I, I I really appreciated that. And another thing that you talked about as far as the trail signs, uh, you used Pete as an example. You're so cool that you read the whole book and took notes, Gabby. I'm very impressed. Well, Good researcher. Don't be, don't be impressed. I mean, that's part of the job. It'd it's be very, like if I you showed up and I go, oh my God, you're here to do the interview and you have clothes on. It's amazing. I think- I've, I've listen, definitely interviewed a couple of people and have not read their books because there just wasn't time. Oh. And it was very challenging. Ooh, and and I, no, I, There's always time. I fell f- flat. I have, I have kids and businesses. I know, you crushed it. I always I, have time. I, did, I got the book the night before and I just couldn't do it. Okay, that's different. But that's why I don't see anyone. And that's why that's I, when you wrote me a note, what's the first thing I asked you for? The galley. I don't- like, I think that's another thing in life is do the best job that you can. I don't give a shit Map what it is. Map your trail, get prepared. Yeah, that's it. So there's no excuse. And yeah. if for some reason, the only time somebody could come and I could, I, I would still figure out a way to do my best. But anyway, so we, this, the, the trail signs, you talked, use Pete as an example about getting also signs in dreams. Actually, I think- Is it not Pete? Or am I get that He read a book. Pete Kostelnik read a book called Running on Empty about a guy who ran across the country. Yes. Kind of Forrest Gump. And he got the idea from this book. That's it. So you can get an idea or a sign from a podcast. Like your podcast with your last guest gave me so many ideas. It was so good. You're going to write stuff down before you go to bed now? Is that what's happening? I wrote stuff before I went to bed last (laughs) night. She's talking about Laura Day, who's the intuitive. It anyway, was so cool. Um, so yeah, so I think he, I think signs can come in. There was a guy 
in on my podcast, he happens to be Mormon. He founded Cotopaxi, also an unlikely person for this book, but I thought his perspective was interesting. The whole sign to start this outdoor brand, it's kind of like a Patagonia. They make jackets and backpacks and they give back to communities all over. It just downloaded one night in a full dream. And he just stayed up all night and wrote out everything. And even even the marketing slogan, Gear for Good, came to him in that dream. Mm-hmm. The idea to use llamas as the mascots came to him in a dream. So I think signs can come in dreams, but often they're things we like see or we hear or we read. It can come in the form of a podcast interview. So listen to podcasts. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's what's tricky. I have to, I'm always trying to navigate is because we all do speak a specific language the way we, our eyes move, the way we pick up information. And I'm trying to figure out how do I get out, unlock out of my language and my perspective to be more open to things that I wouldn't normally see. And that for me, especially as I get older, is like a constant kind of paying attention. It's hard, but you live in like these beautiful places. So I think the more you're out in nature, the more Mm. unexpected signs happen. Because it is the one place where there's so much unexpected amazingness that happens, especially like when you go to Hawaii, there's dolphins, there's sharks, there's these crazy, beautiful what, flowers. What do you think I'm doing in Hawaii? Do you think it's like Monday and there's school, but I'm like, I'll be back. I'm going to jump on the boat and go swim with the dolphins. I think every now and then yeah. you got to go on the back of your, your husband's Tuesday. jet ski, like, right? Like, casualties. Like, just, I, but like, dude, I'm on Zooms like everybody dude, else. Look out your window right here. You've got these crazy wildflowers. I mean... Oh, I love the fantasy. You should get off of Zoom. <laughs> Zoom sucks. It's a, I hate oh Zoom. Oh my God. I love it. I love your idea of what my, what my, uh, look, idea. I know that you're, I'm, just, I, I'm I know, totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Live a real life, but just driving in Hawaii. No, you're there's, right. There's a lot of places to, I'm sure an iguana will cross the road every now and then, or there's a gecko in your bedroom. Oh, you know, I have a war affair. <laughs> No, because it's all fun and games until you live in a house that has gecko poop everywhere. Oh, no. That's exactly. Bad. Everyone's like, oh, it's so cute. I'm like, uh-huh, sure. So talking about- I like romanticizing. I know. It's I'm amazing. I want those. Look at her eyes. She's like a shiny 12-year-old. Yeah, it's mm. amazing. Geckos. Hawaii. Uh, no, it's like, what's for dinner? You know? <laughs> Look, just, I lived in Costa Rica and like cockroaches and, oh, the size of this book. How about those would ants? Invade. The ants are Ooh, giant. the army ants that you have to leave your house? Yeah. I Do you went, know that? No. Do you know about that? What? To the Amazon jungle. And I thought it was going to be beautiful and glorious. You were scared and for your life. <laughs> I just got eaten alive by bugs that didn't give an F about no. toxic bug spray that I would never put on my body today. Oh, but de- like, deed it up when I, you're in those places. Dude, they didn't care. No. We had cankles. I was with this um, Hawaiian girl, Mariko, and she's like, oh, I got cankles. Shelby, and she, like, she had some aloe. She's like, aloe, I have some aloe. And aloe, I know. I love why the Hawaiians cure, call it aloe. You don't hear it. And it did nothing. And we were just miserable oh, no. and laughing. And we were just, because we we brought, this was like early stand-up paddleboard days. So we were invited to go stand-up paddle a portion of the Amazon River in Peru. There was no paddleboard gear. So we were like wearing these like Lululemon leggings that were mm-hmm. capris. And they didn't cover part of your body that gets annihilated by water and bugs. And um, we just were like swollen and gross and disgusting. But on that paddle, so this was like a couple day trip we did to the Amazon in 2011. I was a last minute addition to the team and we used inflatable paddle boards to paddle down this portion of the Amazon river, eaten alive by cankles, 
hot, sweaty, miserable. They told us it wasn't the rainy season, which of course it rained torrential downpour. And I was over it. They wanted us to paddle for two more days. And I was like, really? So we rounded this corner into a cove. And just when we got into this cove, the sound of our paddle sent millions of birds flying. And they weren't just any birds. These were wild macaws, like parrots. So they were like red-bellied, blue-headed, scarlet-beaked, a mix of each. And at that moment, like all the suffering went away because it was such a beautiful experience. And then the rest of the trip flew by. We convinced our guides that we should paddle all the way home that night, sleep in beds, drink Pisco Sour and paddle from there. And they said, yes, but- See, that shows yeah. sense. Yeah, sense. That shows so sense. sometimes an adventure, <laughs> like you don't have to be miserable during an adventure. I have a friend who wrote a really good book called How to Suffer Outside. And it's really funny. And she talks about like what you need to backpack and whatever. But if you want to hire a guide and you want to sleep in a bed or you want to go glamping instead of camping, mm-hmm. go for it. You don't have to wear brown trekking pants to go on a hike. You can look cute and wear Nikes or Converse or Vans. It's okay. If you can get up the mountain, do it your way. And the other thing I say is like, you don't need, you don't need the most expensive gear. You just need gear that works. So I I do recommend waterproof um, tents because having a tent that is not waterproof totally sucks. But other than that, you don't need fancy gear. So, I know we're going on tangents. No, we're, no, this is important on. because believe me, it, people have to realize it's not a zero sum offer. It's like, hey, what, what, what can you do? What's in your wheelhouse? Where do you, you know, where do you live? What are you attracted to? Not well. If you're not out there starving and with no sleep and freezing and eaten alive by bugs and exhausted, it's not really quantifies as an adventure. What you're saying, it's this is a different conversation. So I live in a city, let's say, and I'm hearing this, and I think to myself. Oh yeah, easy for you to say. I ride the subway. I'm, you know, how do we help them? How do we help those people that it's it's a different kind of access? Yeah, I, it's really cool. I interviewed this guy. Would maybe be even interesting for your podcast. His name is Cecil Conanendike, mm-hmm. and he's a, a tree ecologist. Say that again, Cecil Conanendike. He's a tree ecologist, Love arborist. That. I don't know what you call his. He's a professor at University of. I don't know, Vancouver, fascinating dude. And he just coined this thing called the 33300 that's taking off. And it means you should be able to look out your window and see three trees within, have 30% tree canopy covering your area. You have that definitely here and be within 300 meters to the nearest park. And if you can have that in a city, there's reduced crime, increased mental health. Like it's incredible, increased physical health, so yeah, if you live in a city, it's really hard. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Like get to a park, have plants. There's a guy who was on my podcast named Garden Marcus, Marcus Bridgewater, and he collects houseplants and he fills his little city house with houseplants and he nurtures them. And he says, learning to care for my plants has taught me to care better for myself. And, you know, I have another friend who's in Michigan, um, Stacy Bear, and he's He's working to try to make Cecil Conanendike's theory real. And he's trying to make city streets parks. He's like, I have a little girl named, of course, it's I think his little girl's name is Wilder. <laughs> I know it's funny, but he's adorable. But he he's an amazing guy. He's a veteran, a military veteran. He used to bring soldiers back to Iraq to go skiing or Afghanistan to go skiing so that they could reassociate places of war with places of adventure and play. Mm. He's a fascinating guy. He's like a Nat Geo explorer. But anyways, he's working in Michigan to make 
Michigan greener and have urban cities more green. So yeah, if you're in a city, it's hard. You can get to green spaces. You also just have adventures in cities, you know? Yeah. But it is harder. I'm not going to lie. There's a lot of socioeconomic factors that make adventuring in nature harder for certain groups. And I'm, and I, I do want to kind of, now it's like a pushback time for, (laughs) no, 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 for me more to the, to when we talk about these types of things, sometimes we have to decide what's important and structure our life that way. And that is part of what your book is talking about is like, hey, sometimes you just have to take that chance because a lot of times people go, well, I can't do that. And even when it comes to their health. And so at a certain point, we can only make so many excuses. And then at what point do it's like, hey, what is the priority? So I wanna say, you know, let's, I wanna be sensitive to that. And then simultaneously it's like, well, is it important or not? And I, and I think that that is, is part of it as well. This podcast is brought to you by Ritual. I personally have been taking their Essential for Women 18 plus multivitamin since the pandemic began. I was just looking for a really great multivitamin and I love the fact that it has high quality, traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. Because for me, if you're going to, and if I'm going to share it with you, put your resources, whether it's your time or money towards something, you want to know, hey, Not only do they have best practices, but this is actually going to do something for me. And 97% of women ages 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet. It's hard to do. And I like to get as much as I can from my diet, but that is why I take a multivitamin. And Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. The other thing is they take nine key nutrients in two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption. So I think one of the things is, is like, oh, is it an empty stomach? Is it a full stomach? Well, because they, the way that they've done these capital, capsules, it's dental on an empty stomach. And at the end, you get this nice little minty essence in every bottle. So for a lot of people, sometimes these are the things that keep them from taking multis and making it easy and being able to enjoy it, whether it's timing or I don't like the after burps. And the other thing about it is ritual multivitamins are vegan. They're non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, and they are certified B Corp. And like I said earlier, everything is made traceable and they have a wonderful offer for you today. So all you have to do, you don't have any more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. You'll get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash Gabby. If you want to start your ritual, or you can add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today, that's ritual, R-I-T-U-A-L dot com slash Gabby for 25% off. This podcast is brought to you by Babbel. I don't know about you, but every time I travel, I kick myself that I haven't spent more time learning whatever language it is in the place that I'm visiting. It's like you want to connect with the people in a real way. Well, immersion, you know, that's the best way. But most of us can't move somewhere and, and you know live there and learn the language, even though that's number one. But number two is with Babbel. And the reason that is, is first of all, they have, it's really quick. They've got 10-minute lessons, and but they're handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. But what I love about it is it's designed by real people for real conversations. It's like, listen, we all want to know like, 
talk about food and directions and things like that. And Babel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real life situations and delivered with conversation-based teaching. So you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. And that's the other thing I love is just combining that because you think, okay, maybe using a trip that you have planned or getting together with family somewhere, using that as your motivation to get going. And you don't have to pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that maybe don't really even help you, you know, speak a new language. In fact, studies show, there was one study, they did studies at Yale, Michigan State, that Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours, that's nothing, is equivalent to a full semester at college. They've got over 16 million subscribers sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. So here's the incredible offer for a special limited-time deal for our listeners right now. You can get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash Gabby. So to get 50% off at babbel.com slash Gabby, that's babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash Gabby. Some rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. You know, we live in a time of social media and and uh, everybody knows what everybody's doing all the time. And it always seems like so crazy. And, and you know, you think, how many are these many billions of people doing this many interesting things? And you talk about, instead of FOMO, you talk about... JOMO. 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 And I, I really appreciated this idea. Good. So talk to me about JOMO. I have FOMO all the time. Like I'm a you surfer. Oh, well, I God. try not to, right? I've oh. really worked hard on it. You have? What I've happened? See, because really I'm not hard like on that. It. Like, I'm like, thank God they didn't invite me. Dude, you're in the party. You're like, no, this, I'm not in the I party. Get it. You, you no, enjoy no, no. being not invited. Yeah, no, seriously. But, like with my friends, when they have gatherings, I'm like, thank God they didn't invite me. Yeah, I can see that. Like, what it's, is it? It's much more fun to, I don't have FOMO about parties. I would rather be like in bed at 9 p.m. cuddling and you know, having the waves, some somebody tea. get some good waves. But waves yeah. Like, y- you know, this because you live with someone <clears throat> who probably has FOMO, like a little bit, like if there's better waves there, it's, it's hard. Like if you missed a big swell <laughs> and you live in San Diego and it's only good. And every, so by many the way, times here. for people who don't know, surfers are the worst. They're the worst. You missed it, dude. It was so amazing. Right when you left, it got good. Yesterday Right before better. you came out, it yesterday. was awesome. I don't know why they do that to each other, but they do. <laughs> yeah, but, they're dicks. So when, <laughs> no, seriously, they're brutal. I go, why do you guys do that to each other? <laughs> dick's not a bad word. Um, so what is, what is it in you? Is it because it's a rare act of nature happening? Yes. Okay. Like you can't control nature. It's not a wave pool. You can't put a quarter in the machine. So if you missed it, you missed it. You're bummed. <laughs> You've lost out. So instead I say have Jomo because I think adventures of all 
are the worst, you know, like, yeah, you can climb a rock and it's going to be a pretty similar rock the next day, but waves like activities that are dependent on nature can induce FOMO. Yeah. And so what I say is just have JOMO, like you don't know what you're going to miss out. Like maybe you're meant to be exactly where you are. And so have the joy of missing out and have your own experiences, build -hmm. your own adventure, carve your own path. Sometimes the best experiences happen when what we wanted to have happen doesn't happen. Like a lot of people who try to climb big mountains, Mm -hmm. they don't get to the top. Like it's really hard to summit. I've never mountain climbed, but I've talked to a lot of mountain climbers, like weather, there's so many factors. And I have a friend who was supposed to summit Kilimanjaro and right before the top, they had to turn around. They didn't get that pretty summit picture, but instead they had to turn around at twilight. And she's like, it was the most beautiful walk I've ever had in my life because, you know, we were in this purpley twilight all through the night, everything looked amazing. And we never would have done that if we didn't have to turn around. So sometimes missing out is the best thing that could happen to you. I'll try to keep remembering that and, you know, but just remember joy of missing out. Like yeah. if you have FOMO about something like, oh, I wish I was at that party or I wish I was at that wave, just have JOMO, just try to reframe. JOMO, not FOMO. One thing I, I get from, and you talk about it very specifically in the book, is this idea of community. And I I see this a lot with, you know, I've talked to, we were talking about it earlier, like people who played sports, organized sports, they miss that. And what they, what they miss generally, like if you, if you take an NFL player, a retired guy, what they usually say, of course, everyone likes competition or sort of, there's a fine tuning mm. when you're doing sports at a certain level, that is really an interesting place to live that you, you just don't get it exactly that way. Right. In, in life. But most of them say what they missed was the, the locker room the brotherhood or the sisterhood, the the community, the tribe. And and so I know some adventures are personal and solo, but it, it feels like also this is woven into the importance of, because this is a community. And ultimately, if you're doing something that's difficult, taking on a, an adventure that's hard, we need each other. It's a cooperation. So you, you really talk about building that community. Community is a game changer. I wish I had a writing group during this book writing Did you process. say a writing group? Yeah, I totally wish I had. You don't one think thing. it would confuse things even more? It might have. Like <laughs> the one thing my- Can my, you imagine? My, my agent was like, don't read this book to anybody else. But I, I feed, I was a goalie on a soccer team. So I'm totally okay being the weirdo that's individual in the back that takes all the blame for getting mm-hmm. scored on or- completely claims the victory. Hero if I zero. The, yeah. That's what that position is. Hero to is. zero, exactly. Yeah. You have to be sort of neurotic to play that position and also pretty thick skinned. I was not, which is probably why I didn't go that far. I played Olympic development. I'm also 5'4", so you know, I'd get chipped a lot, but I like having a team in front of me. So I'm okay being the weirdo, but I like having a team and I miss that writing a book. And with adventure, there's a lot of ways to build community. So there's, run. I mean, one of the cool things during the pandemic is all these like running groups popped up. There's so many running groups now and whatever, like if it gets, running is kind of miserable. So if you can run with someone else, it's awesome. Like there's this hipster run club in Cardiff where like everybody's beautiful. Oh God. Oh, they all have like mustaches and wear these cool glasses. I see them running and they're young. And I'm like, wow, if I was young and I wanted, and I was single, I would definitely show up there. There's rock climbing communities. I mean, the surf community is 
you know, Laird's got his community. It's well, he pretty, needs guys to tell him yeah, and pick him up need, though. You need, well, yeah. yeah, you rely on each other. And I think yeah. that's one of the things about adventure, the more dangerous it is, you have to have community yeah. because you need people to keep you safe and keep you in check. But also like there's a group of boogie boarding grandmas by my house in Solana beach. They're 56 to 96. And the woman came up with the idea 20 years ago. She was like in charge of the newcomers club. She invited some women to come boogie boarding with her. They live in Solana beach, which is by me in San Diego. They went boogie boarding and it stuck. And this club has grown and grown and grown. And now the youngest member is 56. The oldest is 96. They charge waves at the shore break in Solana beach and Encinitas three times a week. And many of these women, it's like the one thing they look forward mm -hmm. to their whole week. A lot of them are retired. They have grandkids that sometimes join them, but it's helped them with their health, yeah, which is so cool. And they can talk about things like on their emails, they share, well, you know, Hey, so-and-so has cancer. Let's mm -hmm. send her love or so-and-so's daughters in town. Let's show her daughter a good time or whatever, but- Or let's put her on in the wave. She's not visited the mom as much as she yeah, should. Yeah, no, exactly. Do you have to have a grandkid to be a part of no, the club? No, okay. it's not. I just call them grandmas. No, I not love all it. of them are grandmas. Okay. You know, I'm going to join the club and I don't have kids. So I really want to be a grandma, by the way, without being a Oh, mom. you don't get that bypass. Let me tell you. <laughs> I have okay. a friend who married into it and I'm just like, you are winning. Like <sighs> she is just winning. She always wanted kids, but like- well, And they just think you're amazing. Yes. They're like, she's amazing. Because parents are so annoying. And you always get the chance that like your kids aren't going to have kids. So. Oh yeah. they th of Well, yeah. I mean, there's always that, but you just got to survive being a parent. Also. Being a parent is is probably the biggest, most wild adventure. And I kind of was like, God, oh, maybe at the end I'll accidentally get pregnant and then I'll have to talk about this new adventure. I did not accidentally get pregnant, which is, is okay because I wasn't trying kind of, to be. But different kind of adventure. It is a different kind and of adventure. And by the way, you know how you talk about like, hey, when you're finishing one adventure, be kind of creating the next adventure in well, your mind. I'm, when you have kids, that story is so long that you're like, oh yeah, no. So what I meant by that is not necessarily that you have to have one in mind, yeah. but it helps to bring that, you know, like I know when this book tour is over, I don't have the next thing planned mm -hmm. totally, but I did plan a mini joyful trip to Europe. And yeah. I've never really spent any time in Europe. I've spent tons of time in Latin America because that was my territory at Vans. And we're going to take a couple of weeks in Europe. And I think it's helpful to plan like your own trail candy or like mm -hmm. trail joy along your path, especially after you finish. It's funny. There's, there's all these people doing the PCT right now. The PCT is the Pacific Crest Trail yeah. and San Diego is the starting point um, or the border of San Diego and Mexico. People start and they finish up at basically Canada and it's snowy this year and it rained a lot. But I met some PCT hikers randomly. I was coming home from Joshua Tree, which I, I've never really spent a lot of time in Joshua Tree, but we went through Idlewild. And I don't know where I'm going with this, but they were so excited about the PCT. They were on day 17. I met them in Idlewild and I don't know, it's the ultimate metaphor these through hikers have when they do a big trail and adventure. Where was I going with well, this? Well, no, it's just the idea also of having your mind knowing that the story continues. Oh, yes. Okay. So yeah. I think it isn't like, well, this is over because I do think that that is a harsh ending. Even if something was challenging, either emotionally, physically, or all that somehow realizing, okay, this was a interesting story, but I have other stories that I'll be 
being able to be involved with. Yeah, but, but yeah, I think their PCT hikers are a really good example because they have this big expedition that often yeah. takes months. They go on this trail. Every day they set up their tent. They walk 15 miles, set up their tent. They can look back and see how mm. far they've come. And I've heard PCT hikers say, you know, that rewires my brain in a way that I can't help but feel more badass to see every day over and over. Yeah. I've walked 15 miles. I've come here. I've come here. I've come here. Every day they're trekking and physically going forward in life. But at the end, some PCT hikers have a rough adjustment yeah. and they have to do something. I interviewed this guy who walked across the world. He spent seven years walking across the world. I interviewed him two months afterwards and I was like, hey, how are you doing? Oh uh, yeah. Was he drinking a lot of alcohol? He was fine. Oh. He's like, I'm fine. I was like, oh, you're it's early because I think your come down is related to the amount of time yeah. that you're proportionally on your adventure. And you know, he recently posted on Instagram that it was hard. He was struggling. And I reached out to him and I was like, listen, you're not alone. Yeah. This is normal. Huberman talks about this. It's like a dopamine thing. Sure. I tried to get Huberman to like help me with this book. He's a very busy man. I should have gone through you. Well, you, you need but, to be a scientist. Um, we got there, nothing for Huberman if we're not doctors. There okay? is something about dopamine addiction. And I think people like Huberman are studying this more and more. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also a, receptors. Yeah. You know that, right? Down. Like you have receptors in your brain. Some people have very big dopamine receptors and they also, the way they produce dopamine. So um, if they don't have big receptors, they not only uh, don't catch a lot of it, but they don't keep it. So they're on the constant where other people, like they talk about it with kids doing homework where they're not looking for a reward system and the parents battling the kid, like, hey, do your homework. And I recently, actually, there's a guy named, his last name is Khan, K-H-A-N, and he has something called the DNA company. Hmm. And you can do a test, it's a swab. And they'll tell you sort of certain things about you. Because it's also good as a parent to know, um, and the Sarrettes talk about it too. So know some things about your kids because you're just like, I'm banging my head against the wall. And you go, oh, well, their physiology is such. Community. If someone's listening to this, I think it is so scary and hard. You know how to do it. We've done it here. You know, we we know how to create community. If someone, do you have ideas? If someone's like, you know what, I I do want to create a community or be a part of something, I just don't know how to do it. I think joining a community is like pretty powerful. And there's all sorts of communities and outdoor communities are usually some of the most welcoming. I know they seem intimidating. They seem so intimidating. But today in 2023, there are so many welcoming communities. There is a community of women who bike called, or actually they're men and women, all bodies on bike. And they welcome bigger people who bike. And it's really cool. And like, they've made a lot of people who don't necessarily feel comfortable mm. riding bikes, feel comfortable riding bikes. There is this thing called the November Project, which is free fitness workouts at 6.30 in the morning. And, you know, all sorts of people show up to these workouts and they're fun and Kindness is first. I think a lot of these communities in the outdoor space have been really good at trying to put kindness first and saying, look, there's going to be some intimidating. I'm sure the big wave community is pretty intimidating. You can't just jump well, out and join it. you don't have a big it. wave club. Yeah, there's no big wave club. I think club. you have to like throw down yeah, some years you gotta, first. You got yeah. to show <laughs> yourself there. Yeah, a little but, bit. But um, <laughs> I don't know, like the boogie boarding club, like you can just show up and join them. I also think volunteering at an outdoor organization is a really, really way great way to fast track your way into the outdoor space. And you give back at the same time, learn some skills. Maybe you're an accountant. Maybe you don't know anything about rock climbing, but you can offer accounting for 
you know, the chance to participate with an organization like Outdoor Outreach, who takes kids surfing and rock climbing. And I mean, honestly, I'd never been rock climbing until I went with Outdoor Outreach. And I was, I had to learn to, to belay a bunch of kids. And mm-hmm. I didn't even rock climb that day. I just belayed a bunch of kids. And then eventually they're like, this kid wants to belay you. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to let this 13 year old belay me. But I did. It was like the ultimate act Are you of sure trust. I'm on belay? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, it was terrifying. But, you know, be a volunteer. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because actually sometimes getting, seeing the rhythm of things first, maybe yes. before you actually have to do it. Yes. There's something pretty great about that. Yeah. And I think there's so many organizations right now that get people outside, mm. whether they're kids, whether they're at risk kids, whether they're in, you know, foster care, whatever. There's a lot of people in need right now. And the outdoors is a really great place to take people who need an ex- little extra love. Yeah. Um, it, it's healing. You know, they, they've said that there's a guy who wrote a book called Last Child in the Woods, I think, Richard Louvre. And he's like, there's no such thing as ADHD. There's just nature deficit disorder. And I've met a, quite a few parents who have kids that were really struggling and you know, some have put them in extreme wilderness therapy and it totally yeah. worked. Or some just did a Knowles trip and it worked. When I was 16, my mom sent me to Costa Rica and I had to do a community service project with a bunch of kids and it was rustic. We lived on a cement floor. There was giant cockroaches and we built a fence using a machete to clear the grass. And it, it changed my life. Look, these trips are not always cheap. I don't know what she paid back then, but um, there's a lot of things you can do in nature that aren't expensive as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. I think people think that nature is really expensive yeah. and it can be, but it also can look like going outside to a local park or paying a park pass or going to a rock climbing gym and hiring a rock climbing guide for 50 bucks, yeah, which is the cost of a nice dinner yeah, or a or, coffee in Los Angeles. Say, it's insane. In your book, you you talk, and I feel like this chapter is really important to you, is facing your fears. Yeah, I think fear is something I've tried to face every day, and we're all scared for different reasons. But one of the things I've learned is that humor is a great salve for fear. And if we can learn to laugh at ourselves and make fun of ourselves, that will take us out of our head. Look, sometimes you just have to jump off the boat or jump out into the waves or paddle for something that scares you. But if you can use humor, it deflates the fear. So Alex Honnold, one of the best well-known rock climbers, he free soloed El Capitan. There's a movie about him, Free Solo. He uses humor with his favorite climbing partner and they just talk shit the whole time. And he says that deflates the fear and big wave surfers do it all the time. They just talk smack to each other. Mm -hmm. And I think it just like loosens the mood because it's already really intense. You have to be really focused, but when you're so in your head, you can be neurotic and you could panic. Mm -hmm. So if you use humor, you can be more your authentic self. And there's like a line from a comedy special I heard Trevor Noah say, and he said, when we laugh, we're our most authentic selves. Mm-hmm. And then he made this like ridiculous face. And he's like, that's why we're ugly when we laugh. I think adventure and facing our fear, we are forced to be authentic. Yeah. You know, when I'm surfing, I got a wedgie and my butt is hanging halfway out of my bikini. Sometimes one boob is like hanging out or I have frog belly where the lower boob is exposed. I have sand in my hair. It's all over the place. I, like Jufro is like crazy. <laughs> and I don't look that pretty, but I'm 
facing my fears and I'm full mm-hmm. of joy and that's who I am without makeup and glitter. And by the way, you can't really be that pretty when you're in nature. Like you mm-hmm. can't even wear a ring it's when not you're rock functional. climbing. It's, it's not totally functional. Fu- functional. Yeah. And I think that's why I love meeting other adventurous women. You know, I live in San Diego in an area that's, it's a lot like Malibu and people pay a lot of attention to aesthetics. Yeah. And so when I'm with like my buddies from Oregon or Breckenridge, it just feels a little bit more relaxing because yeah. they don't really give an F how they look. It's all about yeah. like, let's go climb that mountain. Yeah. The experience of things. Um, but fear. Yeah. Going back to fear, humor. Humor is. I think that's great. true. Not only in the idea of adventuring, which by the way, the one, the other thing I, I appreciate about adventures or being outside is, you know, you're like, you're not in a role, you're not anything, right? Like you're just a visitor in this place. And all of a sudden all your, our identities, our titles, our whatever, all the things, I feel like we get to get out of all those roles. As long as, you know, the other thing is, I always think it's funny when you see people who's kind of like, now I'm an adventurer. And then they they have this outfit now and the gear and all that. So for people listening, listen, you're gonna have, you're gonna always meet those people and that's okay. But just know that mostly at the essence of it, it's like, that's not what it's about. Cause that can get, make it's people so a little true. intimidating. It's well, like- I think that's the cool thing. Like I have a friend, Diana Helmuth, who wrote that book, How to Suffer Outside. And she said, nature is great because she doesn't give an F about you. So she forces you to give an F about yourself. Yeah. And yeah. I also think like nature doesn't care how much money is in your bank account. Mm-hmm. Doesn't care what color skin you are, you yeah. are, have. Doesn't care how old you are. Doesn't care how big your muscles is, are, but no. it helps obviously. It doesn't care, you know, it has no idea where you went to college or cares if you went to college. So I think nature is the great equalizer because yeah, yeah she doesn't care. No, like Laird always says, we're all equal before a wave. You know, he's like, oh, line. he's like, oh, you're a hot chick pounded. Oh, you're some, you know, successful CEO pounded. You I know? do want to be one of those hot surfer chicks who just surfs in my thong all day. Oh, I know, know with a longboard. It's amazing. I'm like, how does that bathing suit stay on? No, even on a shortboard, like those big wave girls charging pipe in their like thongs. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of, um, I'm like, oh, that'd be fun to come back as one of them in my next life. Just for a little bit. Maybe. Maybe. I'm happy to be me, but, but it is, it's pretty fun. It's pretty wild. It's pretty cool that women are embracing like no clothes, no matter what right now. I know, but sometimes like if you're surfing, you might want to protect your bits a bit. You I don't know. You should protect your bits. Like I, <laughs> I definitely know. protect my bits. I, and I see that. the sun right now, I should probably- Well, that I've been it. really, ha- I think that's one of the, I, I know it's, this is part of my vanity. I've really protected myself in sun because when I moved to play volleyball, I saw everyone. I was like, whoa, the sun can really, but then I have other I friends. <laughs> I have friends who are surfers and they're, they, they know, and they go fun and experience I didn't think better skin. And they just ever. said, screw it. And let's just go have fun. I was like, you know what? My grandma was super wrinkly. She lied out on the beach in Waikiki <laughs> with like a Mai Tai in one hand, a Siggy in the other. And she was okay. And a man 20 years younger by her side. There was oh. no Botox then. I'm sure she would have gotten it, but like, <laughs> She was just wrinkly and she dated like younger men and lived large. She was probably not the best mother. She was a great grandmother and she was wrinkly as F, but people loved her. And so genetically it was not blessed in the wrinkle game. And I date a guy who looks really young and he was very blessed in the wrinkle game. He's like, it's because I'm vegan. I'm like, bullshit. I've seen your grandma. (laughs) She has no wrinkles. That's nothing. I mean, his clean eating helps, but like, yeah. 
I was a goalkeeper. I stared like squinted into the sun <laughs> in the goal box as a kid. And then I taught surfing where you're like this level with the water. Oh yeah, just so get that reflection. Reflecting. Yeah, yeah, it was terrible. I should have worn sunscreen and a hat and sunglasses, I, but. Hey, you know, the, you in, this, in this modern day, we've got lasers. We've got all kinds of things. I, um, I love that when you talked about that they're sort of trail angels. I think it's important for people to remember that. Because when you talk about, you know, looking for things or signs, I think it's. Yeah. That we have those people. It's really cool. So on the PCT there, and even on the Appalachian Trail and the Continental Divide Trail, there are these real people in this world called trail angels. And they literally show up on the trail in places like Idlewild or Joshua Tree, not Joshua Tree, it's not on the trail, like Big Bear. And they bring hikers fresh fruit and fresh water. They make them hamburgers. They take them in. They give them rides back to the trail. They help them when shit goes wrong, which Mm -hmm. will happen because it's an adventure. And they're physical people. But I think the term trail angel can apply to our everyday life, you know? And if if you can, you should be a trail angel because it's one of the best things you can do. So actually tomorrow I'm going to this guy's house and him and his wife are full-time trail angels. So he's a retired lawyer. They're in the book, Barney and Sandy Mann. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I thought by now they were going to be retired from trail angeling, but they're full on. And what they do is they host hikers who are about to hike the PCT. They provide them lodging. They let them ship boxes ahead of time. They pick them up and take them to the trail. They feed them breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They take into account dietary restrictions. They get their plane flights. They do this for free. They take zero donations. He was a lawyer, like a regular lawyer. She was a school teacher. They don't have a lot of money. They don't have a fancy house. They have like a very average size backyard in San Diego. And they love it because they're helping people on the cusp of a life-changing experience. Mm. They did the PCT, it changed their lives. And so they want to do it for other people. And so they take trail angeling to an extreme and they're so cool. And they like teach people how to line dance and they're just funny. They're so cool. And the reason they do it is because they experienced trail magic from trail angels when they did the PCT, mm. simple acts of kindness. Yeah. In surfing, you know, a trail angel is like someone who picks you up on a jet ski when you've fallen off a wave and yeah. you're in the wrong place and they get you in the nick of time. Yeah. But it can also be someone who teaches you to surf or mm-hmm. takes you rock climbing or tells you like, hey, paddle to the side, there's a rip current, you're going to float out at sea. Um, And in life, I think, you know, just a simple smile and an act of kindness goes a long way. Yeah. And it's not hard. No, it's it's not hard. It just isn't hard. You know, Being kind costs zero. Yeah. It's not hard. I I always love it when I see a surfer getting another surfer's board that's gotten away from them. And you see the (laughs) one surfer way away and I go, oh, that guy's bringing, or that girl's bringing his board. I um, Sometimes I do that and then I go ride a couple of waves on their board. And I'm like, you can have my board because they always have a better board than me. Yeah, you're like, I'll it's bring... It's usually a long board. <laughs> yeah, yeah always, I'm always on like too small of a board. So I'm like, oh, this is great. Yeah, I don't know. Laird always used to say, make sure you have enough f- foam yeah. so you can actually catch the waves. Yeah, I'm guilty of having too, too little of foam yeah, a lot of times. Yeah, you like to sit. Because I like to carry a light board. I don't like to oh, carry it. Oh, yeah. I got a Prius. <laughs> you can actually fit a 10-foot paddleboard through a Prius. It's impressive. But like, I just don't want to have a lot of stuff. We live in a little condo in Solana Beach. Like we don't have a lot of room. So you don't want a nine, eight, nine, eight or something. I don't like carrying them. (laughs) My first board was 11 feet. That's awesome. 
I, that's why I know how to carry boards on my shoulder because I mean, my arms are long and I could carry it this way, but ultimately way better when you carry it on your shoulder. Another, you know, we live in a world that it is kind of the ultimate pissing contest, right? Like, look what I'm doing and how good am I and all this. And you, you kind of also in talking about it be, you know, taking adventures and getting out in nature, the notion of, you know, okay, there's maybe times that you're measuring it. So it is more of a race if you're that kind of person or at that level or in that situation, but also the notion of enjoying it. Yeah. Like if you're going to go for the FKT, which I just learned is the fastest known time, go for it. But like, it shouldn't be a suffer fest unless that's your thing. Yeah. Like if that's your thing, go for it. But like take the scenic ro- route, take the side trail to that epic vista or waterfall, say yes to the invitation from a stranger, as long as they don't look like an ax murderer yeah. or you yeah. don't get that vibe from them, you know, obviously be safe, but like that might lead you to like a relationship that you have for a long time or to an amazing vista that you've never seen or an incredible night. The times that I've said yes spontaneously to something that felt really right led to amazing experiences. So I, I was in New Zealand, we arrived, we rented a house from the local real estate agent and this, their son was like, hey, do you want to go caving? And we're like, okay, like we had no idea what we were getting into. So he takes us to a pasture with a bunch of cows and there's a bull, like a clear bull in this pasture. And I'm like, I'm not walking across there. And he's like, oh, it's no big deal, mate. We're just going to walk across here and go to the mouth of the thing. The bull's not going to bother us. There's a pack of three of us. And I'm like, well, I'm the one girl. So he writes a note on his car that says, ETA, be back by 0100. If not back, call XXX. And Johnny and I looked at each other and we're like, we thought we were just going to go check out a little cave. We have on like leggings and a tank top and tennis shoes. And he takes us in this cave that has, you know, narrow passages called the birthing canal that you feel like you're never going to fit through. If you're claustrophobic, you would die. And it was amazing. And then there was like glow worms inside these caves. So in New Zealand, there's these little maggot looking things that glow in the dark. And as a kid, I had a glow worm doll mm-hmm, that like mm-hmm. lit up. It was the only doll I had. I didn't like Barbie dolls, but I had a glow worm and these were real life glow worms. And it was an incredible experience. So saying yes to the real estate agent's advice was really cool. Also, Saying yes to surfing at five in the morning one day with a girlfriend in Costa Rica led me to meeting Johnny. He was out surfing. So sometimes, how do you how do you pick up a guy surfing? Oh, so easy. <laughs> if you're a girl, you're like, didn't you hear me? My butt's hanging out. No, and my boobs I, I are butt was out. not hanging out. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I was really thick when I was living in Costa Rica. I was what drinking does thick mean? Imperial like, beers. What I was does thick. Mean to I was you? a little chubby for me. Okay. Um, I, my diet was like imperial beer, rice and beans, and like tacos. And I was eating a lot. I was surfing a lot. I was eating a lot. I was pretty thick and, you know, just, I loved what I was doing. I was really happy. And I met Johnny out there one morning surfing. He was really cute. And him and his friend were both really cute. We were teaching women to surf. So we started talking to them. They're from San Diego. We had a mutual friend in common. I was teaching a bunch of single women to surf. I figured, well, if I just talked to them, like maybe one of the women would like them. Didn't really think much of it. Being a good wing wing woman. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. part of being a female surf instructor on all girls retreats, you're like, you show the girls a good time. Um, So yeah. And you're like talking and six months later ended up surfing every day together. And yeah. 
And then what's that like 11 years? How, 11 how years later. Now it's starting to get real. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> no. After 11 years? Yeah. We had our like first fight like a couple of weeks ago, the throes of book pressure. And I was like, I don't want to be that couple of fights. Let's, let's go back to being that couple who doesn't fight. And we just worked really hard on it. What does that mean? How do you not fight? What do you mean? Like we fight, but we were like bickering every oh, day. Yeah. I can't do oh, petty BS stuff. Yeah. And I was like, this is not us. We've never been like this. Like, yeah. let's just decide to not be like that. And we started like I said, hippie meditating. I wasn't, I hadn't been meditating. We started meditating together eight minutes a day. Together? Like at night. Yeah. Different parts of the room, but like, yeah. Yeah. And um, I heard it on a Tim Ferriss podcast, which is so funny. I think um, he had said, you know, him and his girlfriend at the time would say something like three things that went really well during the day. And like one thing that they would like more of. Mm -hmm. And we do something <laughs> like that. I know it sounds so cheesy. I like, love oh, it. God. No, like I'm 27 years in and I'm like, I could, I'm going to see if I, maybe I should, do you think I should imp- we, I'm gonna put this on my Look, practice? This was, this was, I, I was in the depths of like book promo, not yeah. really understanding how it was going to go. And, you know, we have to move out of our house oh, all of a sudden that's randomly and like some stuff's going on with family. And I was like, oh my God. We just have to enact yeah. a little routine. I'm going to tell you, we've probably done this five times. Yeah, it's great. But it was enough to reset us back to being the couple who doesn't fight. And I think part of the problem mm. is I have a broken toe. So like, I'm not adventuring. I'm not surfing. I'm not running. Mm. And it's challenging. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was bickering with him. It probably wasn't him starting the fight. It was probably me. But I, you know what I appreciate? Because it's just the incredible reminder is when we can shift because yeah, it's like it's coming at us P- family stuff moving out which is stressful projects that we care and we have worked hard on and now we're they're coming to fruition like, friends have cancer like it was just yeah a lot it's just everything once. i was like oh my god we it, have to do something it's that tool that how do you shift so normally i'd say let's go on a trip and do an adventure because i need to reset yeah. but like i can't i gotta be here right now yeah i'm required to zoom a lot which I know you like it. I'm like, no, oh, I, I don't. It's I just hate, a reality. Yeah, I, I don't. But like think Zoom. about Zoom. Okay, here's one positive idea about it. You can be here. At your you house. can be anywhere. Yeah, totally. So that you is know, positive. at some point, it is weird. Justin, you get to ask any question mm. that you but like. I think one thing with Zoom, can I just say, is like oh, I have vitiligo. She, she won't let the Zoom. Wait, go. hold on. The, I have vitiligo. Which, <laughs> and what? On my face. So you can't it's not, it's, totally tell. No. I have a little bit of like tinted moisturizer Okay, on. okay. But even on my hands, there's like yeah. parts turning white. I'm normally like golden brown. Yeah. Um, and a lot darker shade. And it's changed my pigment. I never thought I would ever have anything wrong with me. Nobody in my family has it. It's really strange. Mm. It tends to get exacerbated by stress. Yeah, of course. So I have to be really real about stress. But it's also taught me to like get really real about vanity. And when you're on Zoom, you're like looking at yourself. So I can see, you know, the the iPhone camera is really gnarly. It like highlights everything. It's high def. You can see any white spot that doesn't even totally exist. And I think we also see people differently on Zoom than in real life. Mm -hmm. So I don't love it for that reason, but I do embrace it for the fact that we can communicate with all sorts of people via FaceTime. Yeah. Jetson style than we hadn't before. Have you found anything that actually helps calm the vitiligo down? Do you have any secrets besides you staying calm? I've done everything. I've water fasted with Alan Goldhammer. Yeah. 
who was really interesting, the water fasting guy for like six days, five days. It actually worked the first time, but I was also using a new cream. So I'm like, oh, well, the cream could have worked. Oh. Um, certain creams do work, but okay. they're like, they can be, I've taken a steroid once before. It was a low dose steroid. I took two a day for four times, the lowest dose you could ever take. But afterwards I got a huge sinus infection. So I'm like, I don't know if I ever want to do that again. Really just breath work, mm -hmm. meditating. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it just happens. When I got COVID, it, it, it came, came on out. full full on and I wasn't stressed. I just had COVID. Yeah. So I don't know. I've had to like sort of embrace this thing that might be part of my life, might not, but not giving it energy mm -hmm. has worked. Yeah. So that's kind of the interesting. I just try not to like give it a lot of energy. I am talking about it now because, you know, a lot of people have it. And I know several I've, people with it's it. It's so interesting. I met a girl in breath class and I had been talking about it in breath class. And she's like, Shelby, I've never told anybody, but like I've had a LIGO. And I was like, hey, it's okay. Like, and I think- and Don't you think it's weird that we put, we make certain things that we have like- it's bad. Well, I think, you know, there's like a lot of people I know have cancer. They just don't like talking about it. I think they don't want to put any energy into it because they want to heal. That's a little different though. I know, but vitiligo is like, I had an aunt who had cancer. She never would talk about it. And I think with the vitiligo, it's like kind of embarrassing and you feel like Why is it, it might embarrassing? be your fault. Because I kind of, I think some of us feel like maybe we caused it. And I'm, I have a health-based podcast and I'm like, well, I should be able to cure it. And then I'm like, maybe this is a podcaster thing because Joe Rogan also has it. Yeah. It's not, but um, no, I I know several. I have several friends with it. So interesting. Well, then well, you'll yeah. have to talk to me about it. But I have tried everything. Yeah, and um, but I think we all have things like that in our life yes. that it's there should be zero shame around, and it's not a thing of like I did something wrong or right. It's like it is kind of something, and who knows why. Um, and I'm sure you're going to learn a million things because of it. Totally. Um, and That's true. I have learned a lot because of oh. it. I've softened, I've become empathetic to people with, you know, physical, way more empathetic to people with some sort of physical disability than I ever have before. You know, there was a guy who had vitiligo when I was a kid and we didn't know what it was. And it was like scary to shake his hand. And he was the nicest surfer on the planet. And I just remember he was like a local at La Jolla Shores. And it always sort of intimidated me. And now I'm like, oh, I have that. That's so interesting. Mm. It's taught me to have kindness towards all sorts of people. But it is weird. Like I notice, you know, so every now and then when it's full on, people look at me in a different way. They do they stare. though? Or do you think you think that? No, I've seen somebody ask me about it, but barely. I'm white. So you can't really tell. Yeah. Um, What's a, there's a famous model, right? Yeah. Winnie, Winnie Harlow. Yeah. She's black. So you can tell the contrast. Yeah, she's is, hot as hell. She's gorgeous. Okay. Yeah. So get the point. She, you look at her and you go, she's hot. I think it looks funnier on white skin. That's just me. It's like, it looks a little red. It looks like I'm sun. People have asked me, one guy asked me once, did he, did you get a face peel? And I was like, but also people say stupid shit. They do. So at some point, whether we have a certain thing, there are people out there who just say stupid things. Yeah. But, and that is like, you know, but like the last thing I would have done is like got a face peel. That was just not the type of life I was living at that point at 35. Yeah, you should you know? have been like, no, I have vitiligo. That's what I did say. I yeah. did. I and then know. he'd be like, oh, okay. And it's like, why is that important to you? But anyway, you know what I mean? Like people say weird things instead of like, oh, hey, 
or good afternoon. It's like, did you get a face peel? What dude is coming up to anybody and saying, like, have you ever asked a girl if she had a face peel? It was a friend. Uh, it was okay. Oh, it was really? okay. Yeah. But no, but yeah, I'm just, just saying like that people say weird things. They do say weird stuff. You know what I mean? And so that's- Someone told me this really nice thing to say. They're like, you shouldn't comment on someone's appearance unless they can change it in 10 minutes. And I was like, oh, what's that mean? Mm-hmm. They're like, if you comment on someone's yeah. zit, they can't really change they it do in 10 minutes. It. If you comment on the fact that their fly is down, yeah, they, can, they can change it. Yeah. But like, you can't change someone's like gray hair in 10 minutes. You can't change and, their wrinkles. And I'll take it a step. the color of their skin. I'll take it a step further. Don't comment on people's appearance unless it's like, why well, you look great. Your hair's pretty, like whatever. Well, I mean, has something in their teeth. It's always well, that's nice. different. Yeah. And you should know them too, though. I think, yeah. I don't think you should walk by a stranger and be like, Hey, zipper do. Sometimes I walk by people and I just say it really quick. I go zipper. And then I just keep walking. Justin, do you have any questions? Yes. Um, was there a particular adventure or sign that inspired the book? Like where, where did this need to adventure and do I've, writing this come from? It's so interesting. Like you asked that because I've always wanted to write a book ever since I was a little kid. And I think part of it was, I just wanted to write a book so bad. I had to get out of my head about that and just mm. write a story about this. Um, there wasn't like a direct sign except for that my mom wrote a book really fast during COVID and it was about addiction in the family. It's a really great book. And she did it so quickly. You know, she didn't have the biggest advance in the world, but she worked with a company, a publishing company that worked with her on it and they just turned in chapter by chapter. So that really was probably the sign watching my badass 75 year old mom just bust out a book in COVID. And I was like, okay, if my mom can do this, 75 and I've been studying writing my whole life, went to journalism school. I should write a book. It's time. That was it. Do you want to take an adventure now? I'm ready. Do you have one in Where mind? are you going to go? Probably the beach. I mean, like I live, like she's saying, like, just get out, just go. Like I live by the beach and I was thinking like, when was the last time I actually went in the ocean? The and beach. it's I love- been, that's it. Too long. I love to do the birthday challenge. I'm turning 43 this year. You can mm-hmm. put a decimal point out, 4.3. You can do 4.3 miles. You could catch 4.3 waves or you get 43 waves and 43 miles. I'm not going to do that, but you know, that's really fun. When I turned 30, I did 30 adventures in 30 days and they were debaucherous. They were like right on the back of this guy's motorcycle, go to the waterfall with him, make out of the waterfall, teach Spanish to, or teach English, um, teach journalism to the local Spanish newspaper. Like there were some altruistic ones, mm-hmm. but there were some wild ones. Like I had to run a certain distance naked from my house. <laughs> um, I had to do the dolphin in the middle of a discoteca. So my girlfriends wrote it for me, but it was such a fun way to celebrate 30. It was definitely not something I would do at 40, but. You mean the naked part or the. <laughs> probably a lot of it. Like the dude on the back of the motorcycle. It's like, you know, there's all sorts of things. I'd surf the scary wave. Um, but I think it's a really fun way to celebrate yourself mm-hmm. by doing a bunch of adventures in the age that you are with yeah. the number. It might take all month to do it. It might take, if you're older, a couple my months. age, it might take till the next birthday. <laughs> How year. old are you? 53. Dang, you look good. Look at, really? what does that mean? I didn't think you were 53. You didn't? You have no. less wrinkles than me. How good old job. did you think I was, Justin? 46. I thought you were coming up on 50. Oh no, Laird's 59. He is. Yeah. Wow. He looks good too. He looks damn good. I was like, my friends are single. Is his hair naturally blonde? Like he doesn't No, have... we color it. Of course. <laughs> Can you imagine? 
Because people ask that of Laird all the time. He's like, do you know what some lady asked me today? And I was like, what? He goes, if I highlighted my hair, I was like, oh, yeah. Little no, lights. no. And our, uh, you know, listen, all you I need- I didn't think he would I'm just kidding. Just all you need is teenage daughters to get checked, like, you know, in hockey, yeah. checked on the boards. Yeah. My youngest daughter said to him the other day, she's like, you know, it's amazing that you're that old and like, you don't have really gray hair. They're and and it, you're kind of like, thank you. I don't know. It's great. It's Good a great, genius. definitely kids will be like, oh, that's a weakness you have. I'm just going to just, let's point that out. And it's, it's great because you just have to go like, yeah, you're right. I have nieces, uh, nieces and nephews. And they're like, why are your eyes so red, Shelby? Like, <laughs> like it's clotrigia. I'm like, I stared at the sun for yeah. many years. Yeah. Probably should have worn sunglasses. It's, but It's great humbling. Yeah, they're humbling. They, oh, yeah. they say the gnarliest things to you. You're like, oh, okay. And it is that constant reminder when we get a little too crazy the gift of being healthy and alive and being able to adventure. And, and I think that that's something that maybe, you know, we need, I think adventuring th does that for us. It helps us get it to that perspective of, hey, what's really important? What's really gonna make me feel good? And kind of all these other things I can get consumed with is a lot of times pretty silly. So yeah. I, I appreciated this invitation in good. this book to not only remind people, but give them pointers and, you know, nice invitations in every chapter on how to do it. So Shelby, maybe just remind people all the places that they can find you. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. One thing I was going to say is if you ever have a hard discussion, you need to have with someone Yeah, like an adventure oh. or even a long walk on the beach, something in nature can really help open someone up. I mean, think about all the deep conversations you've had around a campfire. So first off, Gabby, thank you for having me on your podcast. It's been a joy. You can get Will to Wild Adventures Great and Small to Change Your Life anywhere books are sold. They will even be in REI stores starting June 6th. I will be doing some book launches, hikes in Santa Monica with REI, an event June 13th with Box Union Diesel Books and more. I'm doing a TEDx talk June 11th. You can find me at Shelby Stanger on Instagram. It's S-H-E-L-B-Y-S-T-A-N-G-E-R and shelbystanger.com on my website. I have two podcasts, Wild Ideas Worth Living, which is owned by REI Co-op <coughs> and Vitamin Joy, which is a podcast <coughs> about health and humor on pause until this book is done. But, I was going to say, um, how do you have time? I don't have time for that. So right now that's on pause. So really right now I just do REI's Wild Ideas Worth Living. Uh, REI owns that podcast now, so they kind of do all the work. I do, I just kind of show up and interview people. It's awesome. And REI is a great company to work with. I they get a lot do. of people yeah. outside. So yeah, I just show up and I have some interview questions. They do even a lot of the research for me. Oh, really? I still research it. You got to research your guests. You can't really like, yeah. you can't hack that. You got to do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a joy. And I love connecting with real people in real life. It's so, this was fun to do this. Not on Zoom. <laughs> I know. And just so you know, when someone meets you, I'm sure all they see is you know, a big smile oh, and shiny eyes you. and a lot of, you know, energy. A lot of energy. A lot of energy. <laughs> yeah, you got to get ready. I got a lot of energy, <laughs> which is why I made a really enthusiastic surf instructor for many years, oh, even though it was not the most responsible, lucrative job. It probably was one of the most life-changing jobs I've ever had. So yeah. And you met a boy. I met, I met the dude. It's great. <laughs> and I met like all sorts of great people. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Gabby. This is a joy. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you want to learn more, there is a ton of valuable information on my website. 
Head to the link in the show notes and click GabbyReese.com to find a full breakdown with helpful links to studies, research, books, products, and more. If you have any questions for my guests or even myself, please send them to at GabbyReese on Instagram. If you feel inspired, please hit the follow button, leave a rating and a comment. It not only helps me, it really helps the show grow and reach new listeners.